We'll turn in the Word of God this morning to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We'll read the first 40 verses, five sections of Psalm 119. This is God's Word to us this morning. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in His ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep Thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep Thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all Thy commandments. I will praise Thee with uprightness of heart. When I shall have learned Thy righteous judgments, I will keep Thy statutes. O oh, forsake me not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I have, struck, I have stuck unto thy testimonies. O Lord, put me not to shame. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart." Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments.
for therein do I delight. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Establish thy word unto thy servant, who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach which I fear, for thy judgments are good. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. We'll read Psalm 119 that far. And now let's turn to Lord's Day 44 of the Heidelberg Catechism and read together questions and answers 114 and 115. Question 114 asks, But can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No, but even the holiest of men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of disobedience. Yet so, that with a sincere resolution, they begin to live not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. Question 115, why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them? First, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature, and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in the life to come. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 44 at this point gives a couple concluding truths regarding the law of God. The beginning of Lord's Day 44 concluded the treatment of the individual commandments of God with an explanation of the 10th commandment. And then to round out the treatment of the law of God in the section that we are in right now, it gives a couple concluding truths. The first has to do with the ability of the converted Christian to obey God's law. Lord's Day 44 at the beginning in its explanation of the 10th commandment makes clear that God requires in His law perfection. That's what's unique about the 10th commandment. It's a matter of the heart. And so from that 10th commandment, what is deduced is that God requires perfection in hating sin and perfection in delighting and walking in righteousness. And so the question that arises out of that is, can the converted Christian obey God's law perfectly? 
The answer that the Catechism gives is one that explains what is true of the believer, the regenerated child of God. What is true of them is that they cannot obey that law perfectly, but they have a beginning, a beginning of obedience because of the life of Christ in them. So that with a sincere resolution we begin to obey not only some, but all of the commandments of God. The second main idea that's explained at the end of Lord's Day 44 then has to do with the preaching of God's law. The basic question arising out of the previous one is, well, if that's the case, that we cannot obey the law of God perfectly, we have only a beginning, why, why then do we continue to bother ourselves with the strict preaching of God's law? And the answer that the Catechism gives is, one that explains the positive purposes of continuing to preach the law of God. It is true we cannot keep it perfectly, but that doesn't mean that the law of God is not to be preached. There are good reasons too. It leads us to Christ. It shows us our path of holiness. And so those main ideas that we will explain in the sermon this morning, and we're going to take as our lead the idea of preaching the law of God. And then incorporate into explanations of why we preach the law of God the basic ideas of the first question and answer, 14, 1.14, regarding what is true of us as converted, regenerated believers. Let's consider this then under the theme, the preaching of God's good law. And notice in the first place that it leads us to Christ the second place, that it guides us in holiness. And the third place, briefly, that it points us to glory. Leads us to Christ, guides us in holiness, points us to glory. So we're dealing this morning with the basic idea of preaching the law of God. And the law can be understood from a broader perspective or a narrower perspective. Generally, the law is what God requires of you and me. The duty that God lays before us and says to us, this is what I require of you as my children. That law can be looked at narrowly. And looking at it from that perspective, it's the Ten Commandments. The specific commandments of God's moral law summarized in the great commandment to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Or it can be looked at more broadly. The Word of God more generally. And when you read Psalm 119, as we have done this morning, you see that often that's the reference. That God's Word as a whole is what He says to us. And even though it may not be a specific commandment, like Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Word of God more broadly lays out very clearly what His will, what His duty of us is, what He requires of us. And it's that law, no matter how you look at it, that is clearly in the Scriptures and that is to be preached. Now whenever we talk about the law of God in the life of the church and in the life of the believer, there are always two dangers that we are to avoid. On the one hand, the place of the law of God is never and can never be the 
the way in which we obtain our salvation. When we say that the law of God is to be preached, and that the law of God has an important place and part in the life of the church and the Christian, such that as a church today, we have it read every Lord's Day morning, and such that in harmony with the Heidelberg Catechism, we hear it preached regularly every couple of years. By that, we are not saying that the reason for that is because it is the way of salvation. We believe the Gospel. And the good news is exactly the antithesis of that. The good news is that your salvation and mine is not by obedience to the works of the law. Salvation from our sin and unto life with God is entirely in Jesus Christ alone. It is by grace alone. And it is through faith alone. And when that is the case, it is to the glory of God alone. And so one danger on this side, as we're very well aware of, is that when we use the law of God in our life, and when we preach the law of God, it is not ever so that by obedience to that law, we merit with God. That's impossible, and that's a corruption of the Gospel. But that leads to consider what is the danger on the other side. And the danger on the other side is to say that because that is true, salvation is by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, apart from the works of the law, that on the other side, the law has no place and no function in the life of the church and in the life of the Christian. We're saved by grace, not by the law. And therefore, why would we still read the law, preach the law, and preach it as the Catechism says, strictly? The law has nothing to do with your life and my life. And that danger on the other side we refute as wrong as well. No, the law still does play a purpose in your life and in my life and in our life as a congregation such that we do read it every Sunday morning when we gather for worship and such that we do preach it and preach it as the duty that God requires of you as a Christian. So we're always guarding against those two dangers. And the Catechism, in harmony with the Scriptures, puts us down this path very clearly to say that it's not the law that saves us. We're in the third section of the Catechism. So the overarching place where we deal with these things is in the the thankfulness that we owe to God. So it guards against that, but it also guards against this and does not say the law has nothing to do with our lives as a church. No, it does. It has an important place in our life as Christians. And the first thing that it does for us, as the answer to question 115 makes clear, is this, so that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature and thus become the more earnest in the seeking of the remission of sin and righteousness 
in Christ. The law of God has a function because it's used by God to lead us to know our sin better. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans 3 verse 20, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. As he says in Romans 7 verse 7, I had not known sin, but by the law. When the law of God is read and preached, the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of regenerated Christians to say in response to this, I know my sinful nature. I know it better, more clearly, in response to hearing what God requires of me in His law as it is found in the sacred Scriptures. And beloved, that's a reality that the Word of God makes clear and that's a reality that we experience in our life. When we hear the Word of God preached, the requirements of God, we know what that does to us. It humbles us in the knowledge of my own sin and my own unworthiness. And what especially does that is when the law of God is strictly preached, when the law of God is preached as that which God truly and clearly requires of us, when the law of God is preached from the perspective of the heart, as that's made clear from the explanation of the 10th commandment of His law. That's why the Pharisees and the scribes in Jesus' day could walk away feeling good about themselves. Not this. It's because it wasn't a matter of the heart. But when the law of God is strictly preached and it aims directly at your heart, then we walk away and we say, I know my sinful nature better and better. Now understand very clearly here that this is in the interest of the Gospel. And this is not in the interest of making depressed and filled with despair men and women and young people and children in the church. The preaching of the law of God in order to reveal to us our sinful nature does not have that as its end. Now, with that being said, will the preaching of God's law strictly humble us very deeply? Yes. At times will that be in a very powerful way because of something that's specific that is preached? Yes. So that you walk out of the sanctuary after hearing, for example, the seventh commandment preached and you're a, a, a teenager or you're a young man or you're a woman and you're in, engrossed in sexual sin and the Word of God preached strictly regarding sexual sin comes to you and it humbles you very, very deeply. And you are grieved in a powerful way because of the preaching of that law that brought you to that point. That is true. But it doesn't stay there. Because the purpose of knowing our sin more and more, as the Catechism says, is to lead us to seek remission more and more in the Lord Jesus Christ. Become 
the more earnest in the seeking of the remission of our sin and righteousness in Christ. So that when that law serves that function, and even when that law does that in those particular instances that hits the heart directly in light of where you are at in your life, it is to lead you with earnestness to seek remission in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the joy and that's the peace that is found in the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus does for us. And that's the Gospel. That's the good news that the preaching of the law leads you unto time and time and time again. And beloved, that becomes very real and very personal to us. It needs to. Because then we see the preciousness more and more of who Christ is to us as it arises out of the law of God that makes known to us our sin. You think about this from a couple of perspectives uh, personally and therefore the preciousness that is made known of who our Savior is. You look at it from the perspective of, of generally that when the law of God is preached and it aims at the heart and we know that God requires perfection and we know our sinful nature, that's what the catechism speaks to, so that, that, that part that clings to us. And you see generally in our lives the mountain of sin that we have accumulated. And it's so big. And all it is is becoming a, a larger mountain more and more as our days and our years go on. And you think about that mountain, that burden of sin that Jesus takes upon His back and brings to Calvary and pays in full for. And you say, what a preciousness the Lord Jesus is to me in the One that has found remission and righteousness and forgiveness according to God's promise. And then the other perspective is to realize that when that law of God is preached strictly, it identifies those particular sins. Those particular transgressions. That particular habitual sin that has clung to us for a period of time. And now you're not thinking anymore or just in terms of this mountain and burden, but you're thinking of this, this reality in my life. This reality that as a teenager, one was, was addicted to the pornography. This reality that, that one walked in sexual impurity as a married man or woman. And you think about that reality and you say in response to that, Jesus took that. He took those very sins, that very corruption, that very one that was true of me. And He went to the cross and died for that sin and paid the price that I couldn't pay. You see, the preciousness of the promise of the Gospel in the mountain. And then you see the particular application when that's the burden of the soul and you say, what a Savior! 
What a Savior who took my place on the cross. And what a God who lays before us the promise of the Gospel that in Jesus there is the forgiveness of sins. And as we go to Him seeking remission of those sins, that mountain and those particulars, the blessed word of the Gospel is, my son, my daughter, you're forgiven. You're righteous. You have a perfect, sufficient Savior. And there is hope that is in Him alone. The law serves that function. And you see why then it's the good law of God that serves a good function in the interest of leading us to the One who is our joy and peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we need the law of God to do that. And here we're going to go back to question and answer 114 exactly because of what is true of you and me. Why do we still need the law to do what we just described is explained for us in the answer to question 114. Can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? Notice the question there. The question is about those who are converted to God. It's not the question, can the unbeliever, unconverted, dead in sin, obey God's law perfectly? The answer to that is obviously no. Because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. The question here is, are those who are converted to God able to do this? And the answer is no. No. The regenerated child of God is not able to keep the law of God perfectly. In fact, even the holiest of men have a small beginning. A small beginning of this obedience. And what explains the inability to keep the law of God perfectly, what explains having a beginning of obedience and not perfect obedience, is that we still retain a sinful flesh that clings to us, that taints that which we do, against which we must fight all of our life long, so that all of our life long we need Jesus Christ, and so that all of our life long we are seeking remission as we are aware of our sin and sinfulness in the blood of Jesus Christ. What explains the fact that we need the law of preached to this purpose is on account of who we still are as those who have a beginning but not the perfection on account of the sinful flesh that clings to us. So on this side of the grave, whether you're a child or whether or not you are close to the end of your life, this is what's true. We need the law. Because the law shows us our sin. Because we still have a sinful flesh. 
And so until the day we die, we are conscious of the need that we have for remission and righteousness in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second reason that the Catechism lays out as to why we need the law of God preached is this. And likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God. This is, this is the point it guides us to holiness. I'd like to zero in on a little bit of the language of this, of this answer. The language here, to begin with, says that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit. Constantly endeavor. It is our lifelong purpose to have this be true of us. More and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's a very conscious active reality in the Christian's life. This is my constant endeavor as a believer for this to be true. More and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I ask, beloved, is that your constant endeavor? Do those words of the catechism ring true for you? That when you look at your life and when you look at your purpose in life, when you look at your goals in life, when you look at why am I here in this life, what stands at the very top of this is my constant endeavor to be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and to the image of my God. That constant endeavor is directly related to the first point that we just talked about. The constant endeavor is not because we believe in the danger over here that we described earlier. Constant endeavor to obey God's law because I need to earn my life with God by obedience to that law. No, the constant endeavor arises out of you and I knowing the first point that we explained in the sermon. That when I know that that mountain of sin has been taken by Jesus and nailed to the cross of Calvary, and when I know that those particular sins that have plagued me and that I'm conscious of, Jesus took and died on the cross, that's what leads me to say in response to that, this now is my constant endeavor because the constant endeavor is under the umbrella of the third section of the catechism. This is my constant endeavor because it is the way that I show my gratitude to God. I constantly endeavor to be more shaped in the image of God. 
It's a constant endeavor that does not rely upon my own strength and who I am. The constant endeavor is connected to the praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit. And you notice that when you read Psalm 119. Speaking to all of these themes that we are developing in the sermon, but you can go, for example, to that fifth section beginning in verse 33. And this section has this repeated expressions of prayer to God. And by this being what the psalmist does, he's making clear, this is my constant endeavor, but this is my constant endeavor in which I rely upon my God entirely. Verse 33, Teach me, O Lord, and I shall keep it unto the end. Verse 34, Give me understanding, and I shall keep Thy law. Verse 35, Make me to go in the path of Thy commandments. Verse 36, Incline my heart unto Thy testimonies. Verse 37, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. Verse 38, establish thy word unto thy servant. This is the psalmist who has this desire. And where does he go? He goes to God and he says, you teach me. You work in my heart. You make this my joy and my delight. So that this is true to the glory of thy name out of thankfulness for what Thou hast done for me. The catechism's language is powerful. It's also powerful when it says that our desire is that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God. One book of the Bible is repeating in its theme along this line, and that's the book of 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament, where the Apostle lays before the church in Thessalonica this idea of more and more. And he says it in multiple places in the book. I'd like to read three verses in 1 Thessalonians, starting with chapter 3, verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Increase and abound in love one toward another. Another example in the book is chapter 4, verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. And then one more example is verse 9 and 10 of the same chapter. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them in all that follows. 
abound in love more and more toward God and toward the brethren. And that's simply another way of saying, grow in your obedience to the Ten Commandments which are summarized in love for God and love for your neighbor. Now how does the law of God fit into all of this? Well, the law of God fits into this because the law of God is what guides us in that path. What guides us in the being conformed to the image of God. And here you can remember that the law of God is a reflection of who God is. That when we studied the law of God, we could always say with all of the commandments, we did it for many of them, I'm not sure all of them, but you can always say with regard to the particular commandments, this arises out of what is true of God. And then you can think about the tenth commandment, and what is perfectly true of God is His hatred towards sin and His delight in that which is right and good and holy. And what is true of God is true of His Son, Jesus Christ, so that the Lord Jesus hated sin perfectly with all of His heart and delighted and walked in all righteousness. So that the law, reflecting God, the law, which was perfectly true in the Lord Jesus, is that which guides us in being shaped. In the image of God, what guides us in a life of holiness before God. Psalm 119 makes this clear as well. Verse 9, for example, looking at the second section, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Verse 11, Thy law word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. Preach the law. It's in our hearts. And God works through it so that we don't sin, so that we walk in obedience. Verse 15, I will meditate in Thy precepts and have respect unto Thy ways. God uses the Word and the law to guide us in this life of holiness. And again, this arises directly out of what is true of you and me as converted, regenerated Christians. Why preach the law? Because that law guides us in holiness. Conform to the image of God. Now why is that true? Why does it actually do that? It's because of what is true of you and me as converted Christians. We can't keep the law perfectly. The holiest of men have a beginning of this obedience, but it is a beginning. The life of Jesus is in God's children. There is, therefore, the ability to walk in holiness in a way that is pleasing to God. So that as the Catechism says, yet so that with a sincere resolution, they begin to live not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. 
We preach the law of God because we're still sinners with a sinful flesh which points us to our need for Jesus Christ and the remission of sin in Him. Which when we know that makes us constantly endeavor to seek the grace of the Holy Spirit to be conformed to the image of Christ. And we preach that law so that we live more and more out of that beginning which is the life of Christ in us. Devoting our lives to God in holiness and obedience out of thanks for the grace of Jesus Christ. So you put this all together and you say, yes, the law has a purpose. A good purpose. And we need it. And not only do we need it, we want it. And not only do we want it, but we delight in it. Because we need Christ. And because we want to live in holiness and thanksgiving before our God. And then, as I said in the third point, it points us to glory. And very briefly here, the only reason I separated that out as a third point is to reflect for a moment on that final phrase in the answer to question 115, till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. There is something in all of this that says, I can't wait for glory. There is a time of perfection to come. I long for that. And when I hear the law of God preached and when it serves this purpose, it leads me to say, I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day when I see the Lord Jesus Christ and when I see Him in heaven, in glory, and I know Him as Savior, and I know Him as the Savior who thinking about the law, fulfilled that law perfectly. I know Him as Savior who took my guilt and sins and died for them on that cross. What a day that glory will be when we see Christ who is that One to us. And then what a day that will be when these realities that we're talking about in the sermon this morning aren't true for us anymore. Where that flesh that clings to us, requiring that law to show us our sin to lead us to Christ, is gone. And when there's perfection, and no more sin, and that we will have when we go to heaven. But even that, that's not that final perfection. What a day this will be when you have your body again. A body that's no longer touched by sin and corruption. A body that is renewed and redeemed and resurrected in Jesus Christ. So that with a body, a mind, and a soul, we don't hear the law to point us to our sin anymore. But we live in the constant reality of who we are in Jesus Christ. And we live in the perfection of glory. Sinless, serving God, loving Him, 
and joyfully showing our thanks to Him into all eternity. So that all of these realities in a very real way points us to the glory to come. But beloved, that is to come. It's certain. The Christian's hope is absolutely certain. It is to come. But until then, until then you're in the middle of the war. Until then you still have that sinful flesh. And until then you need Christ every day. And until then you need to be guided in what it means to live thankfully and holy before Him. And so for that reason, we will continue to preach it. We will continue to hear it. And you will continue in your life to read it. So that you don't read your Bibles and say, I only want to read part of it. But you read your Bibles and you say, I need all of it. I need God's law for me. For the reasons explained in the sermon this morning. And so may God rightly, may God use His law powerfully and in the right way for us as His children. Amen. Our Father in Heaven, we thank Thee that Thou dost give us this instruction so that we can think about these things in the right way. Keep us from wrong understandings that corrupt and pervert the truth. And guide us more and more to understand why we need Thy good law. We're thankful that Thou art a God of grace to us. And that we live out of that grace. But yet we do so in harmony with Thy clear law as we want to live before Thy face rightly. We pray this all in Jesus' name.